Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. Are you ready for global cryptocurrency money laundering regulations? CypherTrace secures the crypto economy with powerful AML tools for exchanges, crypto businesses, and regulators. My guest today is Arjun Balaji, founder and managing partner at Shomay Capital. Welcome, Arjun. Hi, Laura. I'm really happy to be here. Before we start, I just want to say happy 10th birthday to Bitcoin. We're recording on the actual birthday, and I just want to acknowledge how crazy and amazing it is that the network has persisted until now. <laughs> how do you feel about it, Arjun? Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, it is. It's a really <laughs> auspicious day for me uh, to record. I think that, um, you know, it's a great day to reflect on everything that's happened over the last 10 years. What, you know, started off as, you know, one program running on one machine, uh, you know, which is quickly now become uh, distributed all over the world. It's how Finney, he said very, very early on, you know, who he was decades ahead of his time, but he said very early on that every day that Bitcoin uh, hasn't collapsed due to problems, uh, you know, technical or legal, it brings new information to the market and it increases the chance of uh, Bitcoin survival, what, you know, some people describe as uh, the Lindy effect of Bitcoin. And so I think it's looking, uh, you know, 10 years in, uh, I'm more confident than ever, ever that Bitcoin will you know, continue to grow and, and continue to stick around, uh, regardless of how people feel about it. The one thing I think about, though, is that bug that was caught uh, last fall. Like, what if it had ended there? Like, I don't know. I just I mean, I think it's it is such an amazing story. It is kind of like almost unbelievable. Um but we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's, um, as everybody says, it's still early, but I still think it is an incredible feat and, and super, it, it's just an incredible story. Um, right. But I, think, actually, this I is, think in some ways, oh. yeah, I think in some ways the, the bug isn't, uh, I'm less worried about it uh, than most people. I think a lot of people think about Bitcoin as a sort of technical system where, you know, if there's a technical bug, it could destroy Bitcoin in the case of uh, the CBE inflation bug uh, that you're referencing uh, from last year. I think that uh, in other ways, I view Bitcoin as this sort of uh, subject. Uh, it is this intersubjective uh, belief system. And so, you know, if there's a bug in Bitcoin, which, uh, you know, causes undue inflation, I think that, you know, we would sort of patch the bug, uh, you know, fork to a different version of Bitcoin, because that would be the sort of uh, new uh, consensus that we would have. Um, but I think if there was a massively inflated Bitcoin, uh, almost no one who holds Bitcoin would want to participate in it. So I, I worry less about uh, bugs like that. But I think it was a huge warning uh, to Bitcoin developers and contributors, I think that and I think we'll see renewed focus on testing Bitcoin uh, more stringently going forward. Yeah, yeah, let's hope so. <laughs> um, well, this is the perfect segue, segue to discuss uh, your crypto predictions for 2019, which for those of you who missed it, this was a really long post that Arjun put on Medium that was actually super interesting. 
I saw a lot of people tweeting about it. And of course, everyone was saying, you know, really interesting. I don't know if I agree with everything. And that's kind of how I feel as well. But um, you started the post with some predictions about Bitcoin and Lightning Network's growth in general. So what are your thoughts there? Sure. I think that um, one thing, uh, you know, and I'll note before diving into it, that uh, the, the explicit purpose wasn't to, that everybody would agree with my uh, with my predictions. I think I had, um, you know, 60 numbered items, but, you know, over 100 predictions in the post itself. Uh, and no one's going to agree with everything. But I think it's sparked a lot of really interesting conversation about, you know, what the state of the industry is and, and where we're headed. You know, specifically with Bitcoin, I think 2018 was a really, really exciting year. We saw lightning uh, you know, come to the Bitcoin mainnet. Uh, and more importantly, we saw uh, Lightning go from, you know, this thing, there was a picture that a lot of people shared with, which was the visualization of the Lightning network at the beginning of the year, you know, which was just, uh, you know, four or five different nodes connected to each other. You could actually, you, you could, you know, count every single node in the system, you know, on one hand to what it was at the end, which was this huge kind of distributed graph, um, you know, with thousands of nodes in the system. I think that was pretty incredible. Um, and going into 2018 with Bitcoin, I saw three major concerns with Bitcoin. One was around scalability. The second was around, uh, the second was around privacy and punchability. And the third was around volatility. I think two of these problems are addressed, uh, are technological concerns, uh, that we can, uh, address through improved iterations of Bitcoin. And the third is, uh, just a subject of, of, uh, time. And, uh, you know, time is the only thing that could really solve it. And so on the subject of Bitcoin with, uh, I think scalability, we saw massive growth in the Lightning Network, which is, which I think will continue going into uh, 2019. Uh, we saw, uh, the, the number of nodes that were running channels in the thousands. Um, and while some of these things are really hard to track, I think that we'll see continued growth going forward. I think I could see the end of the year of, um, you know, Bitcoin, the total number of, uh, nodes in uh, Lightning holding over $25 million in uh, kind of node capacity, which many of my you know, friends and kind of fellow investors actually think is a very conservative estimate. I think on the subject of privacy and fungibility, we saw, you know, while we didn't see uh, any real uh, material improvements to Bitcoin itself, in 2018, we saw a lot of improvements to Bitcoin at the transaction layer. In With transaction layer fungibility and privacy, we saw wallets like Wasabi Wallet Launch uh, which, uh, you know, had some sort of adoption around them. But what we did see was a lot of proposals, you know, from Taproot to Graphroot, uh, from Gregory Maxwell. We saw a proposal for a protocol called Dandelion Protocol. And we saw a full, uh, you know, BIP, a Bitcoin improvement proposal about, uh, a new signature type called Schnorr signatures, which I think, uh, is, uh, it's upstream of a lot of other privacy improvements to Bitcoin. Um, while all of these, different proposals were proposed in 2018. I think 2019 is the year that we see full implementations. And we've made a lot of progress on these things, which is really, really exciting. So on the subject of scalability and uh, privacy fungibility, I'm really excited about the work that was done in 2018. And I think uh, we'll continue to see improvement there in 2019. Um, and so really, uh, the, on the subject of volatility, I think the only thing that can really solve it is uh, more time and uh, you know more time for people to use and adopt Bitcoin and get comfortable with it. Um, but I'm really, really excited uh, for what will happen in 2019 and what we'll see by the end of the year. I think it's very likely that we can see a uh, full Schnorr signature implementation via Softwork, uh, which I think would be um, the biggest material upgrade to Bitcoin base layer privacy in a long, long time. 
And for all these different improvements and uh, kind of like infrastructure developments that you have just mentioned, what do you think that will mean for usage? Do you think that we will see more use of Bitcoin as a payment mechanism or that we'll see different populations taking it up? Sure. So I think that it's a good question. Um, you know, and there's kind of two different competing uh, ideas around this. So one group says that Bitcoin being adopted for payments before you know, Bitcoin is really while Bitcoin is in this is in this very volatile price discovery period, especially when prices are you know far off of all time highs, is very uh, difficult to see because you know Bitcoin. Uh, why would you want to sell something that you think is going to go up in the future? You know, right now Bitcoin, uh, I don't see it as a store of value, and many people don't see it that way either. I think a better way to describe what it is is that it's a call option on a future store of value. Bitcoin maybe uh, may become uh, a very stable, very boring store of value uh, decades in the future. But right now, it's a very volatile asset. Uh, it's in this hyper uh, kind of price discovery phase. And because of that, uh, it's not very good, um, you know, in terms of having using it as a stable media of exchange. Uh, at the same time, uh, there are uncertain monetary regimes all over the world. And we're starting to see uh, Bitcoin adoption and use here uh, tick up very aggressively. We saw this in 2018 uh, in Venezuela, in Argentina. If you look at, uh, if you use things like local bitcoins, uh, volume, local bitcoins is, uh, peer to peer, uh, bitcoin exchange system. And if you look at local bitcoins and you use local bitcoins as proxy, we saw adoption in these uncertain monetary regimes go up materially. And for a lot of these people making lots of payments on the bitcoin base layer, uh, while it's very, very cheap now, um, is not, if, if we want bitcoin to be widely used as either a medium of exchange or we want Bitcoin to be uh, kind of widely used for things like micropayments. Uh, it's obviously unfeasible. So one thing I'm really excited about uh, it, with respect to how people will use and adopt Bitcoin is uh, seeing a lot more experimentation there uh, as it becomes much more accessible to people to make lightning fast, uh, very quick payments. Uh, the additional thing that I'm really excited about with respect to Bitcoin is that uh, lightning opens up the potential for all sorts of new developer activity. Uh, to be built on top of Bitcoin. So we, we can use apps that leverage Lightning. And this is something that's been very underscored. Willow Burn uh, recently uh, created a, a sort of MetaMask-like plugin for Bitcoin called Lightning Jewel. And uh, there's a, a number of different APIs that are being built uh, to help make apps easy to build on Bitcoin. And while developer adoption hasn't historically been a focus of Bitcoin or Bitcoin developers, I think we're, we're going to see material shift here in 2019. We're going to discuss crypto funds, governance tokens, and token curated registries in a moment. But first, a quick word from our fabulous sponsors. Ready or not, the Financial Action Task Force anti-money laundering recommendations soon go into effect globally. If you handle cryptocurrencies, no matter where you do business, these new AML laws will apply to you. CypherTrace helps exchanges, ICOs, funds, brokerages, and regulators understand and manage crypto asset and compliance risks. Learn how to reduce your exposure and prepare now for tough new regulations. CypherTrace is securing the crypto economy. Learn more at CypherTrace.com slash unconfirmed. So I want to move on to some of your other predictions, which were a little bit interesting and, and probably controversial in some in some areas of the crypto space. So one of the things is that you said that you thought governance tokens will be less popular than ever in 2019. Um, and yet at the same time, you also said you thought you would see some non-trivial core protocol decisions that would be decided on chain for the first time. So can you square away those two predictions for me? Sure. 
I think that uh, in terms of governance tokens being less popular than ever, I think the reason uh, why I said this is because uh, what we saw in 2017 was a massive speculative mania. I think everybody's com- uh, familiar with that part of the story. Uh, we saw a lot of utility tokens uh, that didn't really have any real utility. We saw the utility token narrative, uh, which was very, very strong in 2017. Everyone was talking about creating new markets for storage, new markets for computation, uh, and uh, you know markets and everything. That, that was the big narrative uh, behind a lot of the token activity in 2017. We saw this narrative virtually die in 2018. A lot of people said, you know, utility tokens are clearly securities um, because of all the regulatory risk. And, um, you know, frankly, the fact that a lot of utility tokens didn't make sense. Uh, a lot of people even rebranded them. A lot of people, investors started calling them utility tokens. Um, and that narrative sort of went away. Uh, the narrative that a lot of new projects and uh, a lot of the original utility tokens adopted in 2018 as the fee token, utility token narrative sort of disappeared is thinking about uh, governance and, and thinking about governance tokens. Right. Um, uh, you know, one of the, the common tropes and lines uh, that come to mind were either zero X's, you know, you know, we're not worried about utility or value capture. We're worried about creating something that's so good that people will want to govern. It, right. Or, you know, Chris Berniski, a placeholder, you know, their thesis of, you know, if you have good governance, you can have any feature. Um, I think that this narrative, uh, you know, in some ways it's, it's very uh, it's it's far ahead of uh, what we saw in 2018 uh, in terms of. Actual on-chain decisions that were uh, decided uh, with informal governance systems, it was nothing. We didn't see a single major on-chain decision that was decided, uh, you know, vis-a-vis uh, some of these formal governance systems. I think a lot of the design of these formal governance systems is extremely naive. It's very basic because it entrenches a lot of the original power structures that uh, you you have in the systems where uh, people who have more tokens have outsized say in how the network should function, whether that's Ideal or not, I think is a different conversation altogether. But, um, you know, kind of my immediate and, and sort of uh, the summary of my view is that uh, that's the, those are kind of power structures that we want to move away from. We don't want a, a system where, you know, the richest person d- decides to uh, ha- gets to decide how the system should work, especially because a lot of the decisions that are being made in these protocols is how value will be captured in the future. So if someone who has a lot of tokens because they were very early in the ICO or they were a venture capital uh, investor who was able to invest in the pre-sale and get five or ten percent of the tokens, um, you know, because they were uh, a large a large fund. Uh, why should these investors get to decide how the token ca- captures value in the future? You know, if they get to decide, uh, you know, how the token should capture value in the future, uh, they'll probably be oriented, uh, you know, and rationally th- this makes sense. They should be oriented around maximizing the token value for themselves rather than uh, maximizing the utility, which may uh, necessarily be at odds. And so I think that um, in in 2018, while we saw a lot of talk about governance, frankly, we didn't see any uh, major progress here. I think we saw a lot of experiments. Uh, but in 2019, uh, I think we'll actually see this this hypothesis tested. Um, and I, I think that uh, this is probably for the worse. I think that the these sort of experiments that we've seen, uh, a lot of them haven't really been promising. Uh, but while I, I so I think this will be put to the put to the test in a really major way. You know what happens when a team that believes in formal governance leaves a key crucial vote up to the stakeholders in the system, but the stakeholders in the system, because of you know some of the flawed dynamics that I described, votes in a way that the team is uncomfortable, you know, uh, or or uh, votes in a way that they want to move away from the team. You know, how are these uh, you know different dynamics really going to be stressed? I think that's what we'll learn uh, in 2019, and what I'm looking forward to seeing. 
And is that why you're also thinking that token curated registries won't work because it's sort of the same dynamic where the people who are quote unquote wealthy in the system make these decisions? Yeah, I mean, TCRs are really, and and I don't mean this uh, to be snarky or, or because, uh, you know, I, I don't want, I'm not a nice person, but frankly, token curated registries are a popularity contest where rich people can and win. And, uh, and so because, of, yeah, and so because of that, I, I don't see, uh, them being, them succeeding specifically with token curated registries. I think that, um, you know, the, the TCR, which was, um, you know, pioneered by the ad chain team at consensus, uh, it wasn't popular. It wasn't in vogue before 2018. Now you have uh, a number of, uh, t- different TCR experiments from, you know, the ad chain team to, uh, even Ryan Selkis is, uh, Masari. I think that these uh, TCRs, they were considered this very hot sort of crypto economic primitive, so to speak, you know, which is another word that I, I don't really like. But, you know, what they are is an example of, um, you know, the, the sort of sentiment narrative in the most bullish of bull markets, which was Q4 2017, where uh, it seemed like we were going to tokenize the world. We were going to create tokens for everything. And, um, you know, lists seemed like an obvious example. Right? You know, if we have, you know, reputation systems like we do on Yelp or you know, even there were people even talking about college degrees. Why do we even have college degrees? Why don't college degrees exist on a TCR? Um, I think that they were examples of, of this kind of excess that we saw in 2017. And, uh, you know, frankly, I don't think that there's been, uh, you know, a, a lot of extremely sort of innovative thought here. I think that uh, it's been kind of very simple. And, uh, you know, I think we'll, we'll see this narrative again tested in uh, 2019. You know, governance tokens, a, TCRs. Yeah. You had a long stretch in your... Uh, crypto theses for 2019 about crypto funds. And Mm -hmm. you talked a little bit about sort of the effect of the downturn on these crypto funds. How do you think it will affect uh, crypto investment? And, and how will these different funds differentiate themselves if at least right now, it feels like there's only a handful of coins that seem like solid investments? Sure. I think that, uh, you know, it's important to note the context at which we have crypto funds now. You know, first, we had very, very few funds. We had the OGs, you know, Polychain, uh, Metastable Capital, uh, the funds that were started sort of pre-2017. Um, and these funds largely, uh, you know, I know the GPs at, at, you know, virtually all of these funds, they were, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, they were gunslingers. They were crypto native. Uh, they were adopters. Um, and, you know, they were just very, very early in the cycle and they saw tremendous gains as a result of that. So props to them for, you know, seeing the trade before everybody else. Um, then what we saw in 2017, uh, was this kind of new sec- kind of second wave of fund managers. Um, uh, you know, the folks at Multicoin Capital, Block Tower Capital, uh, or who are some of the more, more well-known, uh, you know, fund managers in this batch. Uh, they were, you know, coming from different backgrounds, uh, whether it was venture capital, whether it was, um, you know, por- traditional portfolio management. Um, and launching and applying their skill sets to uh, kind of crypto investing. And the thing that was uh, kind of dominant in this group of investors is that a lot of people believe that, you know, there were many, many, many projects that you could invest in and that, you know, the the job of the cap- crypto capital allocator was to diversify across these options uh, and provide a good kind of risk-adjusted portfolio that, you know, filters out the scam projects and, and is able to curate uh, amongst this. Then what we saw in 2018 was a new even kind of, a new batch of fund managers uh, that were raising even larger funds, right? You saw uh, the folks at uh, Paradigm VC uh, that raised, um, you know, uh, several hundred million dollars included, with LPs, including uh, the Yale Endowment. And the, if you look at these, uh, this kind of new batch of funds, right, whether it's Paradigm or A16Z Crypto, the funds that were raised in uh, 2018, 
the GPs were uh, much more kind of credentialed. Uh, they were much more prestigious. They came with brand names attached, and they were able to raise larger funds uh, because they saw what happened in 2016, 17, and uh, you know they took in, uh, they thought through what was the right way to allocate and you know provide exposure to the SASDA class, and and uh, what's the way to go forward. You know these were the large big names, uh, but even separate from this, you saw this long tail through 2017, through 2018 of smaller crypto funds raise. And I think these funds are the ones that are really in trouble. They don't have the capital to raise uh, to last a multi-year downturn. I think that we'll see serious consolidation in the industry. Um, for one, I think a lot of people, as you noted, uh, and, and from my post, I think a lot of investors have realized that you know there really aren't you know hundreds of investable assets in this uh, amongst the sea of uh, tokens that we have. You know, the number of investable assets might be a dozen or a couple dozen. Um, and so we see major consolidation uh, there. And so a lot of the top funds, you know, if you look at the top, you know, 20 or 30 funds by uh, AUM, nearly all of those funds are in the same set of names. And so we see kind of massive, uh, you know, cross-fund uh, ownership overlap. The second thing that we see is that, you know, there's a lot of these funds are significantly overweight assets like Bitcoin and Ether. You know, some of these funds have 20, 30, 40 percent allocated to Bitcoin and Ether, which I think uh, is a perfectly rational decision. But if they're long-only funds and they're not actively traded, uh, then a lot of LPs are asking questions for better or for worse. They're saying, you know, why am I paying, you know, these massive fees so that my fund manager can decide to buy, buy and hold Bitcoin? And so I think <laughs> what a lot of funds are doing right now is they're rethinking their strategies. They're, you know, they're trying to think, you know, uh, you know, some, some of the funds that are more actively traded are staying the course. Uh, some other funds are shifting to strategies, uh, you know, what's being called generalized mining or active network participation as ways to generate, uh, kind of differentiated alpha. You know, you're seeing more activist models emerge. I think one uh, is uh, one example of this is uh, Layer One, uh, Layer One Capital, which is focused on, uh, you know, contributing uh, development resources to new launches like RINs uh, and mining it from day one, uh, because there's no ICO or no way to acquire the token otherwise. And so these differentiated strategies, uh, I think, are are crucial. So to sum up my kind of view on funds, I think we're seeing fund uh, strategy di uh, differentiation. Uh, we're seeing. Uh, the larger allocators who are entering the space allocate to, you know, kind of more blue chip uh, names and funds. You know, we're seeing uh, people consolidate and a lot of smaller funds, the long tail funds, which I would think is uh, kind of anything smaller than uh, $25 million under management. We're seeing a lot of these funds shut down just because the cost of, uh, you know, custody, um, custody and security, um, auditor services and, and kind of other, um, you know, administrative services of running a crypto fund is just very high. And so I think that in uh, 2019, we'll kind of continue to see uh, this trend and, and really the fund management landscape will, will significantly mature. So we're running out of time, but just quickly before we go, I also wanted to get your views on security tokens. It was a pretty pessimistic view, but I was curious to know why it is so pessimistic. Sure. I think that uh, the issue with security tokens uh, is that you know, going into 2018, you saw a lot of these uh, large infrastructure companies raise, you know, massive rounds, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of capital went into funding this. Uh, but, you know, we've seen very little actual uh, tokenization of, of uh, real assets. I think that uh, long term, all of the value that's going to be generated by tokenized securities are going to be captured by underwriters. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, all the firms that are structuring these tokenized securities, uh, asset holders, so people who hold assets before they're tokenized early investors in these security tokens uh, and uh, infrastructure providers like, uh, you know, people who are setting up exchanges and ATS uh, providers. 
a lot of the hype behind security tokens is behind these massive uh, total addressable markets where people are saying, you know, the total addressable market is 80 trillion or 100 trillion because of all these derivatives and securities that already exist. But the reason why I'm skeptical is one, because we've seen very, very little actual tokenization of assets. The reason why we've seen almost no tokenization of assets is because there's no real investor market fit. And what I mean by that, uh, you know, similar to product market fit, it's unclear who the right investor for tokenized securities is. It's not institutional investors because they lack uh, any way to manage risk or take custody. Uh, and so they've tended to stay away because at the end of the day, these tokens are securities. And we've seen uh, very little action from retail investors because, you know, it's unclear why I'd want uh, kind of these fractionalized units and, and uh, ownership when there's actually right now and there's no way to, to even trade this stuff. And so with uh, tokenized securities, um, I think that, you know, right now we've seen we've had very, very little traction uh, and investment hype into these infrastructure providers has uh, gotten far ahead of uh, where it needs to be. We've seen very little demand uh, for any of these assets, and it's unclear what uh, future investor market fit looks like. So until the industry can figure out, you know, what is the right investor for tokenized securities? What are the advantages of tokenized securities? What do we trade off on? Um, and has a, a real stockpile of assets uh, that can be tokenized this way. I think that the trade-offs to investing in tokenized securities, the difficulties of dealing with custody, difficulties of dealing with security, uh, and the illiquidity of it uh, right now, today, before any of the infrastructure providers are alive, uh, I, I think before we figure out the answers to these questions, investing in tokenized securities will be extremely difficult. All right. Well, um, I guess we will see how your predictions fare in about a year. It's been great having you on the show. Thanks for coming on Unconfirmed. Thanks for having me, Laura, and uh, happy 10th birthday to Bitcoin. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about the topics we discussed, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast player. New episodes of Unconfirmed come out every Friday. If you haven't already, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you liked this episode, share it with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Raylene Galapali, Fractal Recording, Jenny Josephson, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening. <laughs>